How do you know that you're really saved? Well, Dr. J. Vernon McGee answers that question today as our study of Ephesians chapter 2 continues on through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you to another exciting journey in God's Word. Now, as you hop aboard the Bible bus and you find your seat, let's welcome through the Bible's president, Greg Harris, who's joining us. Thank you, Steve. It's always good to be in the studio with you and with our whole listening family. Yeah, it's always great. Now, what do you have for us today, Greg? <laughs> yeah, I have something creative, and that is I want to talk about the creativity of the ways that God's Word is shared, both by our listening family around the North American continent and all over the world. Yeah, that sounds good. But as always, we like to hear what Dr. McGee has to say, so let's listen to this clip where he addresses this subject. Okay. There's too much emphasis today on programs and method and ceremony and church activities. The emphasis should be upon the Word of God. That's the only thing God has promised to bless. He didn't promise to bless me. He never promised to bless this program. He never promised to bless any church. He has promised to bless His Word. Let's get it out, friends. Now, that is so true. There's so much of an emphasis sometimes on programs. And I love Dr. McGee, the whole word for the whole world, and it's about the Word of God and getting it out. Well, and we were having a conversation just before we went into the studio about this question of, you know, how much do we sort of strategize and how much is it just offering up the word of God? And, yeah. and we, we don't want to be, uh, averse to ideas and creativity, but we don't want to think it's up to us. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. We have the power is in the word of God, but it is fun when our partners come up with creative ways to share the word of God. Yeah. And I think about other believers that are our partners that have the Holy Spirit in them and God is giving them a ministry as well. And yes. yeah, it takes the, 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 the foundation of through the Bible, but the distribution, the way it gets out there is just, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. And we've done in the past, we've done discussions, dialogues where our North American listeners talk about, we've heard about bumper stickers. We've heard about, uh, billboards. billboards. We, there's the famous one of the painted on a rock on a hiking trail. And we yeah. go, well, uh, you know, that might be. Yeah. Not know. a fan of the yeah. Sierra Club. Okay. They probably wouldn't like that. Okay. Side. But, but let's talk. Here's an amazing thing that we have talked about before, but I love to revisit this. And that's what our Mongolian partner is doing with through the Bible. Yeah, the uh, the fact that that's a country that has what's the what's the it's, people to livestock it's ratio? Something like say three and a half million people and about sixty or seventy million livestock. Man, so about you know twenty to one. Let's yeah, call it. so huge huge deal. So you got to understand that from a livestock perspective, it's different when we say that they the Mongolian veterinarian ministry. You immediately think, oh, the guy that you know takes care of my dog and my cat. Right. Oh, no, this is like the business consultant, the guy yeah. who comes out and whether or not you're going to feed your family in the next year and whether your whether your production is going to survive, that's your veterinarian. So this guy has tremendous credibility, these people do, mm-hmm. that come out and care for these animals that these people literally make their living on. Yes, and so there's a ministry of Christian veterinarians that have gone to Mongolia and step into that reality that you just painted the picture of, which is they're highly valued, they're highly respected, they they are they're basically part of the lifeblood of yeah. these nomadic herders and they're giving them through the Bible on players. Yeah, with S D cards yep. because obviously in you get some of these remote areas of, of Mongolia, there's not a lot of internet coverage, so it doesn't make sense to, you know, give them a smartphone because they may not have coverage there, but they do have S D players. That's right. In fact, uh we just recently shipped a thousand 
additional players to Mongolia, and I'm sure many of them are going to go into this ministry. So, Greg, we've heard about the Mongolian veterinarians and their distribution methods. What are some other unique ways people are getting the Word of God out? Well, it is amazing. Um, We've we've seen people that... uh, paint something on the side of their car uh, or kind of a bumper sticker, a bigger than a bumper sticker. Yeah. Of course, our Bible bus passes are yep. really popular where you can, it's like a business size card with a QR code that can direct you to the many ways to hear through the Bible. I carry three of those in my wallet at all of times. Of course, you are, you're very good through the Bible family member. Um, and simply telling people, telling your neighbor is a great way to do it. But yeah. we've heard some other cool things internationally. Yeah, internationally, and we have a lot of ministry partners that are doing this. They're actually just streaming the audio of Through the Bible on YouTube. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about that is the analytics. And I was on the phone with the Romanian director, and he was talking about the Romanian program and how they average about nineteen to 22,000 views on YouTube in any given 48-hour period. So there are people that are consistently listening to the program via YouTube. Yeah. I, what what we found is that the content of Through the Bible, Dr. McGee's teaching, is so rich and so valuable that even we have Minute with McGee, and we get great response of just giving people a one-minute clip of Dr. McGee. There's so much value. It's like yeah. drinking cream to hear that. And so we're just grateful to the Lord for the many people that have the sense of calling to take Dr. McGee's teaching and get it to the yeah. whole world. And if you, as a listener, would like to get it to your own folks, another creative way you could use the Bible Companions yes. and have a small yeah. group Bible study. And I've done that myself. We went through the Book of Acts. It's a great study. And... uh I, out of that came several people in that small group that are now listening to Through the Bible on a regular basis. And it's not about Through the Bible, but they're going systematically through God's Word, and Dr. McGee is showing them the way and, and describing Scripture to them. Yeah, so we ask you to think about, pray about how might God want you to creatively share Through the Bible with those in your sphere of influence. Great. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, we thank you that you are a creative God, that all of the creativity we have ultimately comes from you. And we celebrate the ways your word is getting into people's lives and pray that you would lead us, all of us, under the sound of our voice right now, that you would lead us to creatively share your word for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to Ephesians 2 as we make our way through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, I must back up for just a moment to this very wonderful verse here, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, this is the great verse that consummates this section in which he's given to us, actually, the past, the present, and the future of the believer. We were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of the world. And now, God, by his infinite, marvelous, wonderful grace, has reached down and saved us. And then what a future we have. We'll be on display, revealing the grace of God, and not revealing what nice, sweet little... Sunday school folk we are, but rather we'll be on exhibit for the glory of God. And I won't mind it because I'd never felt I'm going to get to heaven anyway on my own works and my own merit, and therefore I'll be delighted to exhibit the wonderful grace of God, and it'll be quite evident 
that that's the way that he saved me. Now, for by grace ye have been saved. And do you notice? I've changed that a little here. And it's the grace. And what he's referring to is what he talked about up there. The exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ. This is something special. It is the grace. And it is by the grace that we have been saved. Now, don't come along and say, I hope to be saved. Can you say this day? Can you say, I am saved? And somebody says, oh, I wouldn't dare make a statement like that because I don't know what the future holds. My friend, that's not the basis of your salvation. Your salvation rests upon grace. God has saved you by grace. And you can be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And if you're God's child, you may wander far from him but he always makes a way back for you. And by the grace of God, you have been saved. And you have today a finished salvation. And you can say on the basis of what Christ has done for me and the fact the Holy Spirit has inclined me toward Christ and I've trusted him on the basis of the word of God, I have been saved. And it's not a hope so salvation or I'll try salvation, but a salvation that can say, By the grace ye have been saved, and by means of faith, and that not of yourselves, of God is the gift, not of works, in order that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand in order that we should walk in them. Now, I want to read to you a statement here about the grace of God and the love of God. And the grace of God, as has been defined theologically, is unmerited favor. I like to speak of it as love in action. And I want you to hear the statement of a teacher of mine, a man who taught me theology, Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer. And here is the statement. Will you listen to it? It's so important. A sharp distinction is properly drawn between the compassionate love of God for sinners and his grace, which is now offered to them in Jesus Christ. Divine love and divine grace are not one and the same. God might love sinners with an unutterable compassion, and yet because of the demands of outraged divine justice and holiness, be unable to rescue them from a righteous doom. However, as has been before stated, if love should graciously provide for the sinner all that outrage, justice, and holiness could ever demand, the love of God would then be free to act without restraint in behalf of those for whom the perfect substitutionary sacrifice was made. This is Christ's achievement on the cross. On the other hand, divine grace in salvation is the unrestrained compassion of God acting toward the sinner on the basis of that freedom already secured 
through the righteous judgment against sin, secured by Christ in his sacrificial death. Divine love might desire to save, yet be unable righteously to do so. But divine grace is free to act since Christ has died. It is to be observed, then, that the eternal purpose of God is not the manifestation of his love alone, though his love and his mercy are like his grace mentioned in this context and expressed in Christ's death, but it is rather the manifestation of his grace. That's the end of the quotation. Now, out of God's infinite treasure chest, he lavishes his grace upon sinners without restraint or hindrance. Now, faith is the instrumental cause of salvation. It's the only element that the sinner brings to the great transaction of faith. But we are told it's the gift of God. And now, somebody's going to say to me, well, then, preacher, since it's the gift of God and God hadn't given it to me, then I guess I'm not to blame. Oh, my friend, may I say to you, God's made that very clear. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. My friend, if you want to trust Christ, you'll have to listen to the Word of God. And God will give faith to all therefore who will give heed to the message of the gospel. And that was the thing that we noted when we were over in 2 Corinthians. You remember at that time, we called attention there to, frankly, a very wonderful statement. And I think I'll turn to it, verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 3. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. In other words, the veil is put on Moses' face not because he was blinding everybody like a headlight, but the glory was fading away because that belonged to the Mosaic system, that belonged to the law. Now he says their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now you don't need a veil, because today he is the unveiled Christ, and the gospel is declared. But we are told, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What is it here? Well, when the heart shall turn to the Lord. Any time that you are ready to turn to Christ, you can turn to Christ. And somebody says, well, I'm not given the gift of faith. That's not your problem. Your problem is that you don't want to give up your sin that the Bible condemns. Any time that you're sick of your sin, any time you want to turn from yourself, from the things of the world, from religion, from everything, and turn to Christ, then you'll be given faith. You can trust I get a little weary of these people today that say they have intellectual problems. You've got moral problems. And I mean real moral problems if you just face up to it. You see, that's the real problem in the hearts of a great many folk. And a great many saints today don't enjoy their salvation. Why, you know, even psychology over in Duke University, they made a study over that. And the second reason that folk today 
are emotionally disturbed and mentally unstable is because instead of living in the present and the future, they live in the past, and it's a preoccupation with past mistakes and failures and looking to themselves all the time instead of looking away to Christ and trusting Him. Now, faith is the instrumental cause of salvation. Now, Spurgeon says, It's not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it's Christ. It's not thy hope in Christ that saves thee, it's Christ. It's not even thy faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merit. That's where the power is, and that's where the salvation is. Now, Paul's not talking about faith when he says, and that not a you. Well, God's is the gift. He's talking rather about salvation, and salvation is a gift that eliminates boasting. Everything about it is God, and we're nothing. If you will take the position of a zero and then let him be the one to write in the amount, then, my friend, that's salvation. Now, we are told here that the church is God's workmanship. And this is a very wonderful verse. For we are his workmanship. And the Greek word is poema. We get our word poem from that. The church is his poem. And friends, that church that we're talking about here is not really the local churches that we saw in the epistle to the Galatians, but what we see here is that body of believers from the day of Pentecost to the Perusia, the real believers, and I'm confident they're in local churches, and that group of believers, they're his workmanship, and they're created in Christ Jesus. That is, they're a new creation, and they're in Christ Jesus. But why? For good works. And when we get to the last part of this epistle, he's going to tell us we're to walk down here in a way that's creditable and acceptable to God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we should walk in them. God intends for us, though we are seated in the heavenlies, we are to walk down here in a way to bring glory to his name. And he'll be coming to that in the last three chapters of this epistle. Now we come to the method of the construction of the church as a temple of God. He says, Wherefore, remember that once ye, the nations, that is, Gentiles in the flesh. So actually, the church in Ephesus was made up largely of Gentiles. There was just a colony of Jews that were in Ephesus. Wherefore, remember that once ye, the nations, you were Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, apart from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I brought a sermon one time. I don't think it was a very good sermon on what it means to be lost. And this is a passage of Scripture that I use. What does it mean to be lost? You will recall that here we are told certain things. That is, that we were 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We have no right to go back in the Old Testament and take promises God made to Israel and appropriate them for ourselves. He didn't make them to us at all. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and we were strangers from the covenants of the promise. Now, God made certain promises to the nation Israel, and they belong to him. Now, he's promised them that land. Now, they're going to get it someday, but they'll get it on his terms, not their terms. And we were strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, when I was over that, I didn't attempt to homestead or stake out a claim on this basis that God had promised it in the Old Testament. I understood he was talking to Israel and not to me. And he told me, however, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Now, that was the position of us as lost people. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. And then, friends, look at this, having no hope. You look at the religions of the world. They have no hope. It's pretty hazy about this matter of after death. There's no resurrection, and there's no hope. And the cults offer no hope at all. They put up a hurdle that no honest human being could get over, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the position of Gentiles. And when Paul wrote this, my ancestors on one side were walking through the jungles and the forests of Germany as heathen and pagan as they come. And the other families over at Scotland, and they were even worse conditions, so I'm told. They were pagan and heathen. That was our condition, without God in the world and having no hope. That's what it means today, friend, to be lost. And that is the condition of multitudes of people around us today. They have no hope. They're without God in the world. I have to be very frank with you. I think if I was in the position of a lot of these today, I'd crawl up on a bar stool and try to drink and forget it all. What else you going to do? you got no hope. And the only hope you got is here in this world, and so you better squeeze this life like an orange and get all the juice out of it you can because you got nothing coming over there. You're without hope and without God in the world. And you're strangers from the covenant of promise. What a position to be in. These are terrible, awful things. But now will you notice something has happened. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who once were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now the court of the Gentiles there in the tabernacle, they could come, but they were way off. Let me tell you, they were way out actually in right field. And it was a long way to home base from where they were. And therefore, the very wonderful thing is the blood of Christ has brought us in and will bring us to heaven someday. Now, will you notice here? For he is our peace who made both one and broke down the middle wall of the fence, the enmity, having abolished in his flesh the law of commandments contained in ordinances, in order that he might create the two in himself into one new man, making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity in it, and having come, he preached peace to you who are far off and to them that are nigh. 
So that today, friends, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are brought not only into a body, but now you are brought into a place where you stand before God on a par with anybody. I can stand today with you, and you stand today with me on equal footing. And therefore, the point of separation for believers should never be color. It should never be a social status. It should never be on any basis at all, because we've been made one in Christ. And I don't care who you are. If you're a believer in Christ, you and I are going to be together throughout eternity. And I don't know why we shouldn't speak to each other every now and then down here, friends. Well, we'll have to leave off right there. We'll begin right there next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Our journey through Ephesians chapter 2 wraps up next time, and then we're going to move into chapter 3. So let's read through both those chapters to get our hearts ready for what the Lord's going to teach us. Until then, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'm going to save you a seat on the Bible bus. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.